0: Good morning for all the folks out there rocking the vermilion in white. It is a very good morning as the Louisiana Raging Cajuns are one win away from advancing to the NCAA tournament for the first time since 2014. It's been a minute and they full last night, but Bob Marlin's team gets the job done. I'm Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. I'm broadcasting from Pensacola, right down the road, just a few minutes, from the Pensacola Bay Center, which of course is hosting the Sunbelt Conference Tournament. My man, Dawson Iserloh, the producer, soon to be extraordinaire, is back inside the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette. Evco Development is a civil construction company that specializes in new multifamily construction. we got a great show on tap for you this morning. We're going to dive into everything that happened over the weekend. LSU baseball, LSU men's and women's basketball, McNeese men's basketball. They barely got into their own conference tournament. They get a win. They move on to the next round as well. And, of course, All the news and notes from the weekend, the latest with the Saints, and of course, high school sports, because the boys' state semifinals kick off this week, actually tonight over in Lake Charles. We're going to cover it all, but first and foremost, good morning to my guy, D-Lo, back in the studios. Brother, how are you? How are you feeling? And are you already uh, feel extremely lonely? Are you in the dark? Let's start there.
1: No, I did turn the lights on because um, I thought you, that's what you would want. So I did turn the <laughs> lights on. Um, now, fortunately, we must have had some sort of power situation over the weekend here, and every single computer in the entire station is acting up. So we're having some simulcast issues. If you're watching us over on Stadium and you see some wild things going on on the screen, we're working on it. We're doing our best.
0: Can the wild things be this one I'm doing right now? Yeah,
1: well, see, you're good right now, and you're on there and nothing, there's no issues. It's just going to be some, uh, there's going to be a lot of manual switching of things by me as opposed to, you know, the usual nice setup. But other than that, we're rolling. <laughs> we're on the air as far as I know, so that's that's a great start.
0: You're going to you're gonna earn your keep today, is that's what you're telling us all. <laughs> yeah, we're working on it. Man says I'm working on it. Oh, so, you know what? Let's start off with the, the Raging Cajuns, because... You know, they led; they never trailed in the quarterfinal game on Saturday night against Georgia Southern. Remember, Georgia Southern was a team that jumped out to an early lead on them inside the Cajun Dome. Cajuns rallied in that game to get the dub. They never trailed in the quarterfinal game. And what stood out to me about Saturday night's game was it was a total team effort. Yes, Jordan Brown got his. He always does, nine times out of ten. But you had players like Terrence Lewis second step up in a big way, Jalen Dalcourt, Greg Williams Jr. You had all these other guys, uh, Scott, others, that stepped up and contributed in that complete team win in the quarterfinal round. And they had no real problems with Georgia Southern. They had more of their hands full last night, and they established an early lead. They took away Texas State's, you know, ridiculous scorer. I mean, this is the guy that can, you know, throw up a lob pass that's supposed to be a pass, and it goes in for a three-point shot, which actually happened in last night's game. And... Last night, Texas State, because they like to muddy things up, they like to slow the game down, they make they, they like to play an ugly brand of basketball. The Cajuns saw that lead dwindle and dwindle and dwindle, and then the Cajuns kept committing turnovers, and Texas State kept converting that into buckets. They scored 20 points off of 13 turnovers in last night's game from the Cajuns, and it got down to a single-possession game. And Jordan Brown... Stepped up like he was supposed to. Now, mind you, he was doubled most of the game. Every time he touched the ball, someone was draped on him or standing in his way. There was not a single easy bucket he made all night, and he still got 18. And he made a big bucket late when it mattered the most. He made a free throw when it mattered the most. Themis Amos who had an off night, he did not have a good game. He had turnovers. His shot wasn't falling. He misses two free throws late in this ballgame as well, but when it mattered most, he made his two free throws. And they hold on for the win. They get tested. And now they have to face South Alabama, a team they've already defeated twice. Last time was a week ago this past Friday. And after taking out the hottest team in the tournament, the 11 seed, who had to play its fifth game in 10 days. They get to play a South Alabama team that didn't have to play as many games, but they're trying to, you know, they're gonna be playing their fourth game in five days. So I found it immensely impressive. It seems to me, Dawson, that Bob Marlin's team is very focused. And they got a little sloppy with the turnovers there, particularly in the second half, and you don't you don't like to see that. But from start to finish, they seem to have a focus. They know how to close out games, and they very much realize that they're one win away from getting back to the NCAA tournament for the first time since 2014.
1: Yeah, no, you actually hit on, on most of the things that I had for this, because I, I sent out a tweet last night with some thoughts from the game, and... And I had three main bullet points, um, and you know I think you kind of basically in one way or another discussed all of them, but I'll, I'll, I'll kind of recap them. First thing was I thought the defensive intensity was impressive. I mean, this is a team that just seemed locked in at that end yep. of the floor for an entire 40 minutes, and I specifically wanted to know Kentrell Garnett I thought had maybe his best game of the season, and people might look at the box score and say, oh, you only had six points. Um, he was tasked with guarding Mason, Har- Mason Harrell, who if you watched the rest of this tournament, was kind of carrying Texas State through. And I've kind of made some comments before, and I said it again this weekend. I feel like Mason Harrell probably needs to take over more and try to create his own offense more than he does, um, especially this year when that Texas State team wasn't quite as loaded as they've been in the past. I, th- I felt like he got a little passive at times, but in this tournament, I mean, he was, he was just locked in. Um, and he hit, yeah, he had a couple of ridiculous shots. He throws the ball over his shoulder trying to lob it up, and it goes in the goal. I mean, I just about turned the game off at that point. I was like, "Well, if they're, if they're hitting that shot, then we might be in trouble." But
0: there was a gentleman standing because at the um, inside the Pensacola Bay Center, the media, including uh, radio, we sat next to Jay Walker, the play-by-play man, and um, they just have tables set up behind, you know, the guardrails on the second level of the arena. So if you wanted to. You know, people can stand or, you know, they come in and go and go into the concession stand or the restrooms. And there was a Cajun fan there. He was just sitting in there having a good time. <laughs> and when, when Harold mixed that shot, you could have just, we can't repeat what he said on the air. But he was like, how did that go in? What? What was that? What was that? And I was like, eh, We have no idea what just happened.
1: Just frustrating, but, you know, at the same time, I thought Garnett was just locked in for for the majority of the game, and I thought it made a difference.
0: Oh, Um, he was great. Dawson, he was great defensively, and Bob made sure to point that out afterwards. You know, he frustrated, and you're right, he's the dynamic scorer. He's the one that made that ridiculous floater to take down Marshall, right, the night before, so he's he's all about the ridiculous shots he he's a he's a shot creator and he really took over this game and look he gave them the spark there in the second half for sure but give control all the credit in the world because he took him out of the game completely caesar was getting buckets early particularly driving on the baseline in the first half but besides that really texas state offense wasn't really doing all that much
1: yeah, and so you know, that kind of leads me to my second point here, which you know, I thought the win was solid, and, and I've, I've also kind of made this point. At this point in the tournament, I think people are going to be quick to look at the records and be like, wow, that was a Texas State team that wasn't very good. When you get to the third round of a postseason conference tournament, I don't want to say you yeah. completely throw the records out because they are who they are in a way, but you kind of throw the records out because that Texas State team had clear, clearly figured something out. They had just beaten Marshall in front of you, who was, in my opinion, the Cajuns' biggest competition in this entire tournament. That was the game that I had circled. And honestly, I had, you know, I didn't make a prediction on air or anything, but that's a game I thought the Cajuns would, were going to lose if they played Marshall in the second round, and it never happened. So this Texas State team was playing well. And, and my second thing, though, is they have got, and I put got in all caps, they've got to take care of the basketball tonight. Um, what you have tonight is Ooh. a much – South Alabama is a much better and more capable offensive team than Texas State. I thought you got away with some of those turnovers because of Texas State's inefficiencies on times at offense. Mm. That's not going to be the case tonight. South Alabama is going to knock down shots. They are shooting the basketball at a super high rate. They've got, you know, the guard play has been fantastic. Of course, they've got that kind of swingman, White, who's going to hit threes from the outside. And then, of course, the big man in in the middle. So if you turn the basketball over against South Alabama, they're going to turn that into transition buckets and they're going to beat you. So. I think that's a huge They're a better game.
0: offensive team, South Alabama is. They're not as physical as Texas State, right? So d- d- Texas State kind of prides themselves on being a physical ball club in particular. They like to, you know, they use a couple of their bigs down low to frustrate Jordan Brown. They like to kind of get after right? They'll, they'll throw elbows. They're a physical team. South Alabama is not that. Even their big guy, he's not a physical player. So that's going to be the intriguing matchup for me. Dawson tonight is, how are they going to, you know, South Alabama's got that, the big, he can put up some points, but they're not a physical team. They're a far better offensive team than Texas State. But how do they make that adjustment? But you're exactly correct. For the Cajuns to win tonight, you can't be turning over the ball 13 times. You just can't. Right? South Alabama's too good of an offensive team for, for you to be able to get away from turning over the ball anywhere between like maybe 12 or 14 times. You can't do that. You, you can't. And the Cajuns got sloppy with it, particularly in the second half, and that allowed Texas State to crawl back into this game. South Alabama is too good of an offensive team for you to be able to get away with that, like you said. You know, Jordan Brown stepped up, Greg Williams has stepped up as well in particular late in the season or from the halfway point of the season on. But I tell you someone who's really played some of his best basketball and Kevin and I were talking about this and we even brought it up to Bob in the postgame presser. We got to talk about Terrence Lewis the 2nd because he does all the dirty work. He <laughs> Kevin and I were joking He's maybe not the most you know spectacular athlete. he maybe not be the biggest guy, the strongest guy, the fastest guy, Dawson. but when you need a what we call a old-fashioned basketball play, a rebound, a good pass, a bucket underneath the basket, he gets it for you right oh, yeah. and that's what he does and he kind he's the senior he has a calming influence We saw him I don't know if you saw this on the on the broadcast but when they had that rash a couple of turnovers on a couple of possessions and with the guards in particular and terrence got up he was getting a rest but he got up and he specifically went to those guys and just we could see him and he was just telling them calm down calm down calm down we got this calm down he is a calming influence on this team that's part of his leadership, and he does all the small things right. He's just an old-fashioned basketball player, Dawson.
1: And you're talking the language of the original Iceman right now. I'm sure he's up and listening early this morning. <laughs> that is Terrence Lewis is his favorite player, because uh, he talks about that too. You know, the, just the little things the guy does, the positioning. You know, another thing that he did that was fantastic last night is when Jordan Brown was getting doubled and tripled, and I'm sure this was a plan that they talked about. He's always in the right spot. He knows how to kind of either, A, leak away and give Brown space on the other end or kind of crash towards yep. the basket and see that he needs to get a pass out of the double team. You saw him get a couple early easy dunks because they were trying to double and triple, and Lewis just kind of read that defense and kind of saw it beforehand. And, you know, that 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 kind of gets me to the last of my three points. Uh, you already touched on it a little bit, but when you needed it, J.B. was clutch. I mean, he's, the, he's you know, in my opinion, should have yep. been the player of the year. He didn't win the award. I think that was, you know certainly Kinsey had a great year I thought Brown should have gotten it but he's your best player he's your senior well you know not eligibility wise but he's the uh likely in his final season he's been here a while he's done everything for you all year and when you needed a basket you went to him I, I look I tell you this I couldn't believe that they didn't double and triple him down the stretch the way they did early in the game they kind of yeah. trusted their guys defensively and it burned them because Brown just hit I mean a little teardrop off the glass oh man what a shot oh, that was, that was. Perfect. I mean, and I, and I thought he missed perfect. it by a mile, but it, I actually think in hindsight, I think he was going for the little bank shot. I think that's what his plan was. Um, so just a great shot there. And then the next possession down, he gets a little turnaround shot. I mean, he did it. Whenever you needed it, he was there. So uh, JB just gets the shot. And he done.
0: had, and, and he made those shots late, but he had a couple of moments there in the last few minutes where he had the air ball. Remember, he missed a free throw. And, and when everything started to kind of go go wrong for the Cajuns, He stepped up when they needed a bucket. So we'll talk more about tonight's matchup against South Alabama for the NCAA tournament. It's on the line tonight for the Raging Cajuns, who get to 25 wins. And they'll be trying to defeat their second team in two days for a third time. That's right. They had to beat Texas State three times this year, twice in the regular season. Did it last night in the semifinal round. They beat South Alabama twice during the regular season. They'll try to do it for a third time in tonight's conference tournament championship game. More from this game, we'll hear from Bob Marlin, Jordan Brown, and Terrence Lewis. That's all coming up next right here on The Game.
2: This is RP3 and company on The Game. 103.7 Lafayette and one zero four one Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros.
3: Really tough basketball game. We knew it would be a grind uh, playing these guys earlier in their, their style. They're playing with a lot of confidence. And they made big plays in the second half. They had some big baskets that let it get down to what a one-possession game. And we were able to hang on and make enough free throws to win. Uh, proud of our guys and uh, looking forward to tomorrow night.
0: Region Cajun head men's basketball coach Bob Barlow there sharing his thoughts on the team's hard fought win over Texas State last night in the Sun Belt Conference tournament semifinals, Cajuns advance to the title game where they'll face South Alabama. This was a <laughs> a physical game and Texas State, as we've talked about before, likes to muddy it up. They were one of the few teams that play that way in the conference. They have the big bodies down low. they like to be physical, they like to rebound, they like to kind of push you around. And they made Jordan Brown's night, well, immensely difficult. He had to earn every one of those 18 points that he scored to lead the Raging Cajuns. And the preseason conference player of the year talked about what they were trying to do and what he had to do in response.
4: Uh, like we was talking about, like they compete hard and they play, like, play tough defense there. They're always physical, physical with us. And I think they just, you know, it's our third time playing them, so they have a good feel for our team and stuff. And uh, I think we just made adjustments throughout the game and figured out some things that kind of worked for us, and then we kind of got flung.
0: He made some adjustments. You know, that sequence late off the missed free throw where the ball clanked, and it went maybe, what, 10 or 12 feet, Dawson? And he went to go grab it, almost had to go get the rebound near midcourt. That was a huge play in this game because what happens if he doesn't go out there and grab it and Texas State maybe gets a transition basket, we may be having a different conversation this morning.
1: Yeah, and and there was a lot of just winning basketball plays that I saw that, and, and it's you know, it's so funny. These one-game situations, we see it all the time. You know, Coach Byron Starks that I got to talk to, you know, after LSUE's disappointing loss the other day, you know, he kind of explained that. Like, as good as their team was, you get to one-game situations and they just had a bad night and that's it. Season's over, you know. And Coach Marlin's team, to their credit, you know, the one thing I kept feeling like throughout this game was like, this team knows that they're not destined to lose this game. You know what I mean? They feel like this is just – this. It, it can't end like this. Um, it's not supposed to end like this. And they made a lot of winning basketball plays. I thought Isaiah Richards gave you some great minutes in mm. the first half. Because, look, Jordan Brown picked up a foul early in this game. I hated the call because here's the thing. They didn't call anything all night. But at the very beginning of the game, they called yep. a little ticky-tack,
2: yes, a little foul do.
1: at the top of the key on Jordan yeah. Brown. And it changed the way Brown defended. Now, I thought Jordan Brown all year has done a great job of understanding his situation foul-wise, monitoring how many fouls he has, not paying, picking up an early second foul. But he gave up some easy looks, and I, again, I think that's the right decision because you need him out there, but they were able to put Richards in a couple of times. He gave you an, I tell you, he had a little turnaround right-handed hook shot that I was like, wait a minute, has this guy been hiding something from us all year? Isaiah Richards looks like an offensive player right now. He had a play in the backcourt where he tracked down a loose ball and dove for it and saved the possession. Um, I thought you got great minutes from him, and that kind of backed up what, what Terrence Lewis and Jordan Brown already do, you know, as those guys who just make winning basketball plays. We've kind of talked about that all year. And, yeah, I thought Brown, you know, as great a rebounder as he is, I think at times this year he's gotten a little bit, you know, maybe lazy on the rebounding side of things, you know, here and there. That wasn't the case last night. He went after every loose ball, and you could tell. That's what I really appreciate about this guy and what you can – I mean, about what this team last night is you can see that they treated this like a do-or-die game. They knew the importance of every possession, and they didn't say – Hey, we're a lot better than Texas State. We can kind of, you know, relax through this first half, and we'll figure things out later. Now they knew that nope. the pressure was going to be up, and look, when Texas State made that run to get back in the second half, I didn't think it was because UL, you know, wasn't giving a hundred percent effort. I just thought Texas State made some plays. Now turning the basketball over was an issue, and it will be, and I've already hit it on that, you know, and and that's going to be a, a huge key for me tonight because, again, South Alabama. Here you go. On paper, they may not be the most talented team in the league, but they are certainly playing like the best team in the league right now. And again. You were able to beat them a week ago, but that was a home game. Now you get into a neutral site, and South Alabama, since then, is playing maybe even better. You know, they that that's really been the one game that they struggled in. So the defensive intensity has to be up. The ball, you know, the ball security and taking care of the basketball has to be more important. And you have to like their chances, but uh, I think by no means is this going to be a game where you should expect the Cajuns to, to dominate even though they're playing an 8 seed. Again, this is exactly the situation the Cajuns were in last year, playing a team that's you know maybe on paper a lot better than them, but when you think about how well the team's playing, I do think that bye comes into play. We saw a lot of conversation. Southern Miss's coach wasn't too pleased about the situation that his team had to face when they played South Alabama. I thought last night you saw it a little bit. Maybe Coach Marlin's decision to press all game was a result of that, Texas State playing their fourth game in however many days. Tonight, South Alabama's got one more game than you played, so they should be, in theory, a little bit more tired. Let's see if that kind of comes into play.
0: You know, and they're coming off uh, leading, essentially, never trailing, wire-to-wire win in the quarterfinal round. Last night was the same situation, right? They led from jump, wire-to-wire last night as well. And last night, it was a very physical game, and it was <laughs> – you know, Terrence Lewis had had this to say afterwards. He compared it, what that style of play was against Texas State, was almost like being in a boxing
3: match. I mean, they're really uh, a really good physical team. I remember the last time we played them uh, at home, and I even think uh, way at Texas State, like they really killed us on like the glass. Like they out rebounded us uh, in both games, and I think we, I think we out rebounded them uh, today. I think that was like one of the whole objectives if like we just really guarded them down the stretch and I'll rebound it and then we would uh, become victorious.
0: But I think this helps the team. And and will I think being tested like this in the semifinals, having a physical game and one where you kind of gut out the win. You you don't do everything perfectly in the ball game, Dawson. There's some things that go wrong, but you're able to find a way to kind of Calm down, secure the win, make a bucket, make your free throws, and take all the punches that the other opponent gives you. I think this helps the Cajuns going into tonight's championship game against South Alabama. I think being tested like that is a good thing for this team.
1: Yeah, I would agree with that. And, and, the good news too, if you want to talk about a fatigue perspective, South Alabama was tested too. They didn't play a game where they ran away with it or anything like that against James Madison. So correct. Um, you know, you you both had games where you um, won by double digits in the quarterfinal round, um, and then kind of got tested a little bit more in the semis. So, you know, the the big thing with South Alabama too is that they've shot the basketball. Just they've they've shot it so well in Pensacola. They've made at least thirty nine percent of their threes in all three games. They've actually gotten better each game. Um, with their percentages so they shot eight of 18 last night um, they're a team that's that's really shooting it at a high level they've got multiple guys who can do that so I think that also needs to be a point of emphasis closing out on the three-point shooters um, I didn't think now Texas State shot the ball poorly I thought they closed out great now the interesting thing is you all kind of left Jordan Mason alone um, mm-hmm. he missed four wide open straightaway threes and I was sitting there going man he must be a pretty bad three-point shooter look it up he's actually like 37 percent so I don't know yep. why the Cajun, now maybe it was just a couple of, I think a couple of it was a couple of breakdowns, but they didn't seem like they were in any hurry to really pressure his shot off the three-point line, and maybe that's just something that they had seen, um, and Coach Marlin and his staff had kind of maybe scouted out, maybe Mason wasn't shooting the ball well, but they left him alone. But other than that, nobody really got easy looks, you know, and the, the, the shots Harold hit were, be, were, were tough, contested step-back jump shots, and I think you'll live with that if he makes those. So they're going to have to do that against South Al tonight. The good news is that you've kind of shown that you match up pretty well with Kevin Samuel inside. Jordan Brown kind of took that under you know, himself in the last one. But I will say this. I don't think Samuel's going to play as poorly as he did in the Cajun Dome last week. I think he's probably took that a little bit personally, the way Jordan Brown played against him. So he's going to probably be a man on a mission tonight. So that's another thing to watch inside. And then, again, if you have to collapse on him inside, South Alabama's just got a ton of shooters, and they're all shooting it with a lot of confidence right now.
0: Leads us to our poll question of the day. Will the Cajuns book their ticket to the big dance with a win tonight against South Alabama in the Sunbelt Conference Tournament Championship game right down the road from where I'm broadcasting inside the Pensacola Bay Center? Right now, 74% of you say yes. 13% say no. 13% say unsure. Let's get to some comments. Steve on Twitter says, Somehow I found a pair of vermilion-colored glasses today, and the future looks rosy. I think that a stronger prescription is needed for the big dance. No fun belt teams in that tourney. John Paul, Cajun Daddy, says, It has been a crazy tournament with top seeds, early exits, but baseball has started, in all caps. Don't know that I've ever seen an aluminum bat breaking before. Ton on Twitter says, It'd be cool if they did. And Ralph says, Let's dance, baby. Sharing a gif, of course, from the office. Keep those votes coming on our poll question of the day. Leave your comments on Facebook and Twitter, and we'll continue to share them. Throughout today's show, we could to take a timeout. When we return, LSU women, they were at the SEC tournament, an unexpected exit for the Lady Tigers, especially how much in control they were in the semifinal game against Tennessee. We're we'll here from Kim Mulkey coming up next right here on the game.
2: This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's Sports Station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Go subscribe to the game's YouTube channel at The Game Louisiana. That way you can check out the latest original videos and more shenanigans from the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's Sports Station.
5: Well, the mental breakdowns, I don't know if I'd call them mental breakdowns, we did not do things on either end of the floor in executing. I don't know if that was fatigue. Um, I was as disappointed in our defense as I was our inability to do what I wanted them to do against the zone. I just thought everything they did was in the paint. So I'm in a timeout going, do I go zone, make them shoot it outside, you know, give, give a different – and then I'm thinking, surely we're going to contest, they're going to miss, and then they would miss and they get their offensive board. So everything was just kind of toughness on the defensive end. And it starts with post-play. I don't think anybody wanted any part of Rakia Jackson tonight.
0: LSU women's head coach Kim Mulkey. After Saturday's kind of a stunner, 69-67 loss. Only the second loss of the season, it comes at the hands of the Tennessee Lady Volves there in the semifinals of the SEC tournament in Greenville, South Carolina. LSU started fast in this ball game. Angel Reese got hers. Alexis Morris was good in this game. And they led by as many as 17, Dawson. And they were up by 14 at the half. But this game, and I got to watch a little bit of it on television, was eerily similar to the game in Baton Rouge at the PMAC. Now, in that game, they were able to make some shots and kind of stop the bleeding and was able to pull out a hard-fought win against Tennessee. But they were unable to do so in Greenville as they stormed all the way back. Lady Vols tied the game at 56-all with 640 to go. And Tennessee played like the more focused team. They executed their game plan better. And for the last, you know, 12, 13 minutes of this contest, they were the better team, and that's why they gutted out the win.
1: And that's kind of exactly what we were, I don't want to say expecting, but maybe concerned with heading into this tournament is the level of focus. Because, look, you know, Coach Mal—Coach Mulkey's been kind of honest about it. She's not the biggest fan of these tournaments, um, especially Correct. at the position now that she has had her programs at for a long time now. She hasn't been in a situation. This isn't, you know, the situation that the Raging Cajuns are in, where it's everything's on the line, do or die, win now. They know they're going to the tournament, whether they win or lose, and they knew for the most part that they probably were going to be, you know, their seating wasn't going to change too much either. Now, do I think they wanted another shot at South Carolina maybe before the tournament? Yeah, probably so, and I think Coach Mulkey probably would have liked to see her team get another chance to play South Carolina and feel a little bit better about maybe the way they match up for a bigger game later on. But Tennessee did play with much more urgency, and Tennessee probably had a little bit more on the line, probably going to have a chance to move their seedings around a little bit. And, yeah, they they just got caught a little bit flat-footed, it felt like. And, you know, it didn't sound too, uh, you know, listen to the majority of this press conference. And, you know, Coach Mulkey obviously didn't sound too pleased. Um, So she didn't sound like someone who didn't care that they lost this game but uh, you do wonder where the focus level was.
0: Well, and look, let's credit Tennessee as well because at half they switched over to that zone defense and that frustrated LSU and that allowed Tennessee to get back into this game. And Coach Mulkey talked about Tennessee making that switch defensively.
5: Well, it was very obvious they couldn't guard us in man. We just came out the gate smoking. So they go to a zone. It's not like we haven't seen zone this year. It was almost like we were just tired. No one flashed. No one moved. No one screened the zone. We had no dribble penetration to make two take you. We had no ball reversal, nothing. We just relied on shot clock winding down, set a pick, jack a shot up. Was that fatigue? I don't know. But, you know, we, we, we attack zones every day in practice, um, and it affected us. Uh, their press did not affect us. Their zone affected us. And uh, we'll continue as we prepare for the playoffs to attack zones.
0: It it made a huge deal. And you could tell they weren't necessarily prepared for it, even though, as, as Coach Mulkey said, they've practiced against it. I do think that this may be a, a good thing for the Tigers. And, and this, is, this is why I look we've talked a lot about their level of competition early in the season in the non-conference slate. She didn't know what type of team she had as before she was able to get Angel Reese to transfer in and they built up a lot of wins against let's be honest inferior competition and they weren't tested. Right? That they they got tested by Tennessee, a game that they won. They go down to Columbia, South Carolina, and they were no match for South Carolina. They just weren't not on the same level, not yet. And to get upset like this in the conference tournament, this could go one or two ways, Dawson. A veteran coach like Kim Mulkey, national champion, Naismith Basketball Hall of Famer, she could take her team and go, okay, hey, guys, we're not perfect. We still have some work to do. And she could use this and have them work on a multitude of things, Just not, uh, not only playing against a zone defense, but also everything, right? Offensive execution, everything, focus, get rested up for the tournament, work on the small things, almost have like a reset here, and have them play with a chip on their shoulder and come out ultra-focused. She could take that. Or this team has never been here before, right? This is – they don't know what it takes to make a deep postseason run. They don't know what it takes to really overcome adversity. So I'll be interested to see what happens here with LSU. This could be a good thing. This could give them what they need to make a deep run, but only time will tell, and obviously what the bracket looks like will make a huge difference as well.
1: Yeah, I, I'm never a big fan of people saying that you needed a loss right there. I hear that sometimes when a team's got a, a, a long winning no. streak going. They need a loss. They, that's you always really You
0: always want to win. You right, always want to win. <laughs>
1: I do understand the um, the sentiment that this could be helpful because this team probably was feeling a little bit invincible, even when the loss to South Carolina. They can sit there and go, "That was the number one team in the country on the road." I mean, and right. like the clear cut by far number one team in the country on the road. So, they still hadn't lost a game to someone who wasn't South Carolina, and they got tested a few times, but they never really ended up losing one of those games. So, whether it was Georgia or some of the other games they were close in, now they sit there and they kind of get a really nice. Reality check in the way of oh wow a team that's not South Carolina just beat us you know on a neutral Mm -hmm. site not even at you know on the road so now you come into the tournament I think it makes them even less likely to get upset in the early rounds I don't think they were going to get upset in the early rounds anyway I think Angel Reese is too good and there's you know no 15 seed out there is going to have someone that can defend her unless you get a crazy matchup against a team that's got somebody and so I don't think uh, whether they're even if they drop down to a three seed or whatever it may be, I don't think there's any 14 seeds they're going to be able to do that. Quite honestly, I don't know if there's any six or seven seeds either that are going to have enough for Angel Reese. So I think this team, I think the real tournament for them starts in the Sweet 16. Uh, when it gets to that point, they might be in trouble, you know. And and look, we've said that all year. There's just some deficiencies on the roster and some places that Kim Mulkey is going to shore up eventually. But they are ahead of schedule, so. We'll see what happens, but I do I do see them making a run in the tournament. Once you get to that Sweet 16 round, though, things get tough, and I could see them losing at any point after that.
0: And, you know, in Saturday's game also had a bit of drama. You mentioned Angel Reese, 22-11, uh, another double-double, her 28th. She breaks the uh, record that she was tied with with Sylvia Fowles for most double-doubles in a season in LSU women's basketball history. And they're down one. With the game winding down. LSU had the ball. Shot clock is turned off. They got the ball to Reese in the high post. She drove down the right side of the lane and was called for an offensive hooking foul. And Kim Mulkey was beside herself. Tennessee, of course, made the ensuing free throws. And then Morris missed the half-court buzzer beater. And Kim, who does not, you know, hide her emotions, does not uh Hide her um, the the way she sees things. Right, she doesn't she doesn't sugarcoat it. Uh, this is what she had to say about the call late
5: in the ball game. I thought we were shooting two free throws, so I was heading back to whatever to get my thoughts together. And then they said, Coach, she called an offensive foul. I just thought she was shooting two free throws.
0: What'd you think of that call late? Um, yeah, it's tough.
1: Look, the hooking fouls are, are always kind of a judgment call because you get away with it a little bit at times if mm-hmm. you don't kind of extend, and then you can kind of disguise it, and it kind of depends on the way the official sees the contact. But um, that's tough, you know. That's tough to that's tough to, to go against you in that spot. Um, you know, I, I think we've seen it in the Sun Belt tournament. I thought the uh, the officials were doing a great job trying to kind of stay out of the way in the first half with the Cajuns game. And then all of a sudden they start making all these ticky tack foul calls in the second half, and I was like, "Well, if we're gonna do the thing where the refs try to stay out of play and let them beat and bang a little bit, let's do that all the way." You know what I mean? There's no reason to all of a sudden call fouls late in the game. So, you know, it's 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 a tough one for them to deal with. And and she, um, you know, they got they didn't get the benefit of that call, but obviously, I think the uh, coach speak answer would be to say that they should have done some things before that point and not let it get to that point. So
0: that's true. Don't let the 14 point lead vanish right evaporate in, in front of your eyes. So, once again, something goes wrong, they lose the game, but also late they don't get the call, it goes against them. Kim Mulkey's a veteran coach. I'll be interested to see if she's going to be able to turn this into something that can fuel her team that can make her team better. I think they're locked in as a 2 seed no matter what. We won't find that out until Sunday with Selection Sunday. The men's tournament bracket will be released earlier. The women will be unveiled later that evening. we got to take a timeout. When we return, the Mignese men, huh? they got in with a win last week to their own conference tournament, needed a little help. They backed in. Guess what they did yesterday? They got the win, as everyone expected. We'll talk about that next right here on the game.
2: This is RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. RP3 came to the station this morning to do only two things. Kick some ass and drink some beer. It's like
6: we're almost out of
2: beer. Well, it's kind of early for the latter, isn't it? Maybe. Probably. Maybe just a root beer. Or some flavored water. Back to more kick-ass sports talk. With RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station.
0: The McNeese men's basketball team has been on the struggle bus this season. Only nine wins in the regular season. And one of those came in the finale there inside the Legacy Center when they took down UNO. And they won that game, and then they needed some help. They needed two other teams to lose. That happened. McNeese gets into the conference tournament, which is held right there at the Legacy Center in Lake Charles. And everyone said, well, hey, they backed into the tournament. That's going to be pretty much the end of it. they got to take on the fifth seed A&M Commerce in the opening round on Sunday. They'll be one and done. Well, John Aiken's team says not so fast. The eight-seed Cowboys took down the fifth seed, Texas A&M Commerce, 79-78 to yesterday in the opening round of the men's side of the Southland Conference Tournament. They advance to the quarterfinals for the second consecutive season and will face fourth-seed Nichols at 5 o'clock tonight. The game was tight throughout. Neither squad led more by more than seven in this contest. McNeish shot well 50.8% from the field and held a 30 to 39 rebound advantage in this ball game. Something they've struggled with both things throughout this season. Christian Schumate, the only McNeese basketball player, women or men, to be named to the all conference teams. He was a second team honoree. That was announced on Friday. He led the Cowboys with 28 points and 12 rebounds. Another double-double for him. Thomas had a double-double with 10 points and 10 rebounds, and Zach Scott scored 19, and Jonathan Massey added 13 points. So, the McNeese Cowboys get to move on in the Southland Conference Tournament. They'll take on Nichols tonight at 5 o'clock. The women begin their conference tournament play as well. They'll play at 1 o'clock this afternoon. So, Congrats and good luck to the McNeese basketball teams there at the Southland Conference Tournament in Lake Chuck. That's going to do it for hour number one. Hour number two coming up right here on the game. Oh,
3: yeah. Oh,
2: yeah.
3: Everything, everything. Everything going to be all right this morning. Live from the Delta Media
2: Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is producer Dawson Izerlowe and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts Third, better known as RP3.
0: Good morning. Welcome back to RP3 and Company. I'm your host, the big, bald, and beautiful one, Raymond Parsh III. I'm broadcasting from lovely Pensacola, Florida, home of the Sunbelt Conference Tournament. The tournament's held right down the road at the Bola Bay Center. Of course, back there in Lafayette is the main man. He's the producer soon to be Mr. Extraordinaire. Dawson Iserloh is back inside the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette. Of course, Avco Development is a civil construction company that specializes in new multifamily construction. Our number one, we recapped Raging Cajuns' win over Texas State as they move on to the championship game of the Sunbelt Conference Tournament. They'll take on South Alabama. We talked about the LSU women being upset by Tennessee, blowing a 14-point lead as the Lady Vols switch to that zone defense, that frustrated LSU as the Tigers suffer only their second loss of the season. Now they'll sit and wait for when they get to play next. They'll likely be a number two seed in the NCAA Women's Tournament. And then we also touched on the McNeese men's basketball team, backed into their own conference tournament, but took down the number five seed yesterday, Christian Shoemate, with a double-double. As the Cowboys move on to the quarterfinal round, they'll take on Nichols tonight at 5 o'clock. And, of course, We do have a poll question of the day. It's about those Raging Cajuns. Will they win tonight? Will they book their ticket to the big dance with a win tonight? It would be their first trip to the NCAA tournament since 2014. That was the great Elford Payton team for Bob Marlin's squad. Right now, 72% of you say yes, 16% say no, and 12% of you are unsure. Mr. Green has chimed in. He says, they're playing the team no one wants to face. Time will tell. That is true. No one wants to face South Alabama. They're one of the hottest teams in the conference. No one wanted to face Texas State either. They were one of the hottest teams in this tournament. And yet the Raging Cajuns were able to pick up the win last night. And look, they faced Texas State twice during the regular season, took both games. Then they faced them a third time. They were able to gut out a win last night inside the Pensacola Bay Center. They beat South Alabama twice during the regular season, including a week ago this past Friday right there inside the Cajun Dome. They'll have to beat them a third time if they want to get to the NCAA tournament. And Coach Bob Marlin, the veteran coach, talked about playing the Jaguars for a third time on Monday.
3: Yeah, we're we're, we're on the game. We were there tonight, and all the coaches were there. We'll have a good report uh, when we get back and eat here at the hotel. So looking forward to it. South, we just played them a week ago, Friday, and uh, in a, in a really good ball game. And watching their tape, I think they'd won maybe eight of nine coming in, we talked about, and and now they've won a couple more. So, well, they played three. This will be their fourth game. Uh, and, you know, we expect a, a game like tonight. I mean, it's going to be an exciting game, and we're looking forward to the competition.
0: You know, it's a cliche, Dawson, you know, when we talk about, and I hear it a lot in the NFL, you know, how hard it is to beat a team three times in a season, and I don't know necessarily if the numbers back that up. I feel like that's a narrative that's been thrown out there that people have kind of ran with. Uh, You're familiar with the team. I understand the challenges that you're not going to you know, beat that team that many times, but you know, I think that's more. I I don't know. I think that it's almost like a baseball mentality where you feel like, well, you know, it's going to come down to a seven game series. You just have to win four or three. You're not going to win all of them. But I I don't know. I mean, this Cajuns team just took down Texas State, one of the hottest teams in the tournament. It's not out of the realm of possibilities for them to beat South Alabama three times in a season. I mean, it just the reverse argument is yeah, it's hard to beat a team three times. You're correct. It's also hard to beat a team that's already beat you twice. once One time at your place and one time at their place. And now you're on a neutral site. I mean, there's just as much pressure for South Alabama to try to get over the hump here as it is for the Cajuns to beat them three times in a row.
1: Yeah, I don't know. I, so South Alabama, I, it kind of depends. And I, I haven't had a chance to hear what Coach Richie Riley had to say after the game. But They can kind of approach this as one of those, what do we have to lose type of situations. We weren't supposed to be here anyway as an eight seed. Now, it's a little bit different because their preseason expectations were to be pretty good. Then they kind of actually underachieved and then ended up kind of very similar to the Cajuns last year. It's a a really good parallel because the Cajuns were supposed to do some good things, didn't have a great regular season, and then got hot at the right time. Um, Yeah, I don't think... Beating a team three times in a year, I don't think it's very necessarily hard. Now, I do think beating a good team three times in a year is a little bit more difficult. And I also think when you when a, when you play a team and they're a pretty good team and you kind of handle them the first couple of times, you're you're in for a different kind of game in the third game. I think. And so I think the Cajuns are not going to have that easy uh, a time here. Not that the last one was easy either, but. You know, the big difference, and I keep going back to this, is South three point shooting. And the Jaguars are hitting around, you know, 40 to 42 percent of their three point shots in Pensacola. They're, you know, really finding it from out there. They were four 13 for just a 31 uh, percent rate when they played them in Lafayette a week ago. So that's kind of a huge key. Now, the Cajuns were just 12.5 percent. They were two to 16, if you'll remember. They had a uncharacteristically bad game. Greg Williams was 0 for four. Um, They didn't really get anything going from behind the arc themselves. Now, they dominated that game on the inside, and that was, of course, Jordan Brown's 13-for-15 game. So that's something to kind of keep in mind. Uh, But when it comes to South Alabama, I think it it does come down to, you know, them trying to make some adjustments because I think they've seen twice now that what they've done hasn't necessarily worked, specifically offensively. You know, I thought South Alabama, especially in the first game, had a pretty good defensive plan. Um, now, they, they, that game ended up being a little bit higher scoring towards the end of it in the second half, but Jordan Brown's dominated in both games. First game, he was 9-12 of 12 for twenty, you know, 23 points in the total. Um, now, first game, they didn't have Samuel, so I think South Alabama's approach to the second game was, well, it's going to be different because we got our big man in there this time. Right. Second time around, Jordan Brown still dominates. Now you're going to see Richie Riley's team probably get pretty creative defensively. I think they're going to try to do some different things. You might see what Texas State did, a bunch of double teams. I doubt they trust Samuel. Again, they've kind of seen, look, Samuel got beat. I don't think he's quick enough to stay with Jordan Brown. I think everyone knows that. So I think they're going to try some things that are going to be a little bit different. The first game, South Alabama did shoot 9-20 of from the outside. So they were able to get some things done from the three-point line. And the Cajuns shot pretty well in that game as well, 6-14. of So they were over 40. Both teams were already over 40% in the first game. Um, The second game kind of had some conflicting styles to it. And then both teams couldn't really get hot from the outside. So... I think that's interesting. Now, the Cajuns out-rebounded South Al 32-23 to in the first game. That's important. Um, I think that matters because it kind of shows they have an advantage. Now, again, Samuel wasn't in that game, but then they out-rebounded him 40-27 in the second game yep. when Samuel played. So they have out-rebounded him in both games. They've kind of uh, out-hustled him in some spots. You know, look, it was, of course, Moore who went off for 20 points in the last game for South Alabama, and, and if he's able to get it going and hit some shots from the outside, we've kind of talked about how much, uh, how, how much trouble you can be in. Moore had 18 against James Madison yesterday. He's playing at a really high level. He had 17 against Southern Miss, and he had 20 against App State. So a guy who's consistently right around 20 points a game here in this conference tournament, I think some of the defense has to be focused on him, but they've kind of gotten contributions from everybody, and you, you kind of expect that when you're in a tournament like this and you're beating some of their teams that they've beaten Um, But we'll see what happens. Look, Samuel only had four points, 12 rebounds against James Madison yesterday, so they didn't focus on him inside, which you kind of thought maybe they would because James Madison has a little bit of a, you know, they don't have a big man in the middle the way that South Al does. But overall, I think it's a great matchup. And look, you know, you you talk about the Cajuns having such a better record and kind of on paper looking like they're bigger favorites. Uh, Vegas doesn't agree. They're only one-point favorites right now. And I think when the first time I saw it, it was even. So the Cajuns are um, not big favorites. This is basically uh, a game that Vegas is saying, take your pick. We'll see. Not, not a And the South a Alabama
0: way. fans, there will be more of them in attendance than there will be UL because it's a short drive. And that first game against Southern Miss in South Alabama had a huge number of, of fans in attendance here at the Bay Center. So there's going to be a little bit more of uh, Jaguar fans in attendance than there are Cajun fans, even though. There's a nice group of Cajun fans that have been here all weekend, but because of the proximity to Mobile, a little bit easier for South Alabama to be able to bring their fans over. I think it's going to be a difficult game. I just I don't buy into the underdog thing because you're playing for a conference championship. You understand what I'm saying? like You have been considered the hottest team in the conference for the better part of almost two months now. So you're not really no longer the underdog. You're just not in. You just mentioned how Vegas views it. They obviously see that the same way. So even though you probably can maybe do that, Richie could probably do that with his team, it's not really, you know, playing the underdog card when, once again, you're finally living up to your preseason expectations, which everyone thought how good you were going to be. And you've been the hottest team by far in the conference for two months. Can't really play the underdog card. You mentioned it, though. The three-point shooting limited limit South Alabama's three-point shooting, make sure that's not really a, a contributing factor in this game. We talked about Terrence Lewis and Jordan Brown probably needing to get theirs. Cajuns needing to win the rebound battle as well. That's going to be key in tonight's game. But the big thing for me, the number one thing, all those things are huge factors. The number one thing for me is they got to cut down on the turnovers. They have to cut down on the turnovers. They had 13 of them in last night's game against Texas State. Bobcats turned that into 20 points, and Bob Marlin talked about their inability to be able to cut down on those turnovers in last night's game.
3: Well, we, just, we, we tried to force too many things tonight. I thought that we had seven at halftime or we had seven with probably seven or eight minutes to go in the half. And then we told them no more turnovers and we wound up with seven at the half, but they led to some buckets for them on runouts. Uh, the second half, same thing. And not only did we turn it over, so I'm not making a fundamental play, but we missed a couple of layups. Greg, Greg missed one. Uh, you know, T Lou had a couple hung on and would have been on an and one. And then Themis missed a big layup late. Jordan gave him a great pass. And, uh, you got to cut down on the
0: turnovers, Dawson. I mean, that, that, that's the key for me. I, I like the Cajuns' advantage on the glass. I think they're going to win that again. I think they're going to do a good job of defending the three-pointer like they've done the last two previous times. But they opened up the door last night to Texas State because of the turnovers. And they got sloppy with it, and they got sloppy with possessions, a lot of empty possessions on coming down the other end of the court. So it's not only just – What shows up in the box score with under T.O., it's also empty possessions as well. Sloppy basketball. They cannot afford to be sloppy like they were last night against a team as good as South Alabama. They just can't do it.
1: Yeah, 13 turnovers, and I'll tell you, I I would have thought the number was like 25. It felt like way more than 13 turnovers. And I think a lot of that is, as you mentioned, a lot of them led to runouts. It wasn't just... You know, sometimes it technically counts as a turnover if, you know, the ball gets tipped up around or whatever, a block shot, somebody Mm -hmm. pulls it down, you step on the end line out of bounds. Like, those are all turnovers, but they don't necessarily feel the same as a tip pass that's a breakaway layup for the opponent. So I thought a lot of their turnovers were bad turnovers, and I think that's maybe some of the issue. Um, But, yeah, you know, and another thing, I'll go back to, uh, you know, the line. I like to kind of give you as much context as far as, like, what people think from the outside (laughs) about this game the ESPN Basketball Power Index, which I'm not a huge fan of. I think it has a lot of flaws, but it's a nice little <laughs> metric to look at. Has yes. the Cajuns 50.1% chance to win this game. South Alabama 49.9% chance to win this game. So, again, even flip. though the seeds, right. are, uh, the seeds are a big gap and the records are a big gap, this game is uh, on paper, according to the people who supposedly know more than we do, going to be very close.
0: Going to be very, very close. We got to take a timeout, but you know what? We want to hear from you. Game hotline is open. Just because the big fella is on the road in Pensacola doesn't mean I don't want to hear from you. Doesn't mean Dawson doesn't want to hear from you. Give us a call. Game Hotline's open. 337-706-0111. That's 337-706-0111. More RP3 and company coming up right here on The Game.
2: This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. There are some hosts
0: Oh, the game hotline's three three seven 337-706-0111. Let's head out to the game hotline. Jamie's patiently waiting. Jamie, brother, how are you? Good morning, bud. Good
8: morning, Mr. Third. I'm doing pretty well. Not as good as you over in Florida, though.
0: Lovely Pensacola. Home of the Blue Angels, you know, bud.
8: Oh, yeah, man. I, uh, I hope that you get to go check out a show. Probably not you're going to be too busy with that basketball so No, you hey, no, got an opportunity to go get some shells for Hattie yet
0: <laughs> I, I do have I do have a funny thing so we had some time on uh yesterday or Saturday rather and we're like hey let's go see like the biggest horse attraction and they have like the aviation museum here cuz of course Pensacola has a huge uh air force population and they have this great aviation museum where the blue angels some of those are on display and it's on the base. So we drive up, and they're like, no, that's close to the public.
2: <laughs> and
7: I was like,
0: <laughs> okie dokie. Yeah, there it is. So we'll turn back around and drive around Pensacola, their top-rated tourist attraction that they talk about besides their beaches. And uh, it was like, mm, no bueno. So there you go, bud.
8: <laughs> yeah, I think they're only open to the public uh, certain times of the year uh, during the summer or whatever. But, uh, yeah. So I wanted to go in on Southern conference, uh, uh, talk if I could, but I do hope that the Cajuns, uh, beat the snot out of South Alabama. Uh, just for a simple fact that, uh, it would be great to see the Cajuns in the tourney again. Uh, and I'd love to see the Cajuns and the, the demons wind up facing each other. I know that's improbable at best, but it'd be awesome. Uh, so I had a question. So I know that I know that uh, I know McNeese and, and Nichols are playing tonight. Now, this winner of that game, I, I didn't get to look at the brackets. Do they play Corpus Christi or do they play Northwestern?
0: Oh, this man is putting me on the spot about the Southland it's, it's, Conference. It's
1: Corpus Christi. <laughs> I'm fairly certain. I will check that. But Texas
0: A&M Corpus Christi says Dawson. He's fairly certain. That's why he's about to be extraordinary, Jamie. <laughs>
8: About to be, man. You know, you need to give that dude the title already. Dude brings so much, you know, so many words that nobody knows the meanings of. And we're too lazy to check on. So, you know.
1: <laughs> Can confirm. But, uh, it's Corpus Christi. Right, Can cool. confirm. The yeah, man is confirmed. So
8: that means that Northwestern State is going to be playing against uh, UNO or Southeast. And I would much rather play Southeast than UNO. I'll tell you why. Southeast, you know. They they have a chip sure, but U and they like McNeese. They backed into the tournament. They ain't got nothing to lose. So uh, I don't know, man. I I I am hoping that it'll be an NSU McNeese because that's an old old rivalry there. And uh, you know I I never wish for success for McNeese because it is our rival, you know. But uh, there it is. They they've surprised me. They've surprised me. So I hope that they can. Uh, win tonight, and then I hope they can beat uh, Corpus Christi so that uh, the Demons can, can face off against them. Hopefully, they'll win their game, too, and, and go from there. But uh, Southland, they, uh, they have a history of uh, having some, some crazy teams. in Northwestern State back in 06, for example, but I don't know. What do you think are the odds of a, a Southland team advancing anywhere in the tournament, like even just out of the first group stage?
0: Jamie, appreciate the phone call. Got to let you go, bud, but thank you so much, and I'll respond to what you had to say, man. Have a great day. Thanks, LT. Look, it's it's all about matchups. He's talking about, of course, the, the Northwestern State team, the Demons of Destiny team that upset Iowa on a last-second shot in the NCAA tournament. And, look, it all comes down to matchups, right? That's why you see the upsets that you see in the NCAA tournament because a higher seed – is uh, is there and they've had a great season and they take on a smaller school that's a nightmare, a, a matchup nightmare. There's something about the the smaller school. Maybe they have more veteran leadership. Maybe they have four seniors that they start on the court. Maybe they're a really good, efficient three-point shooting team. Maybe they, you know, press really well and you're not expecting that or you struggle against the press. That's what makes the tournament so good because it all comes down to those matchups. And that's why you see those upsets that you do there in the first couple of rounds and even sometimes in the Sweet 16 because it's a matchup problem. That's what it boils down to. And then you always have one team that, you know, kind of takes over. They get on a hot run, I think, of Florida Gulf Coast, you know, or Davidson back in the day with uh, Steph Curry. There's always a team that gets, a, you know, heats up, so to speak. If I had to pick a team out of the Southland, it's probably the Demons. You know, I know Corpus Christi's is the other – you know, high seed in this, but, you know, Northwestern State took down a a ranked TCU team this year during the non-conference slate, so they're not going to be intimidated. First-year head coach got a lot of energy, so if I had to pick one out of the Southland, it'd probably be be the Demons, but it all depends if they win the conference tournament, and then it all depends on, obviously, the matchup as well. So appreciate the phone call by Jamie. Talking a little Southland conference here in hour number two. I want to talk about the NFL Combine. Now, as Dawson knows, I hate talking about the NFL Combine. I think it's one of the most overblown events out there. We overvalue things that we see at the Combine. You know, just fundamentally, oh, the guy runs this 40-yard dash. Okay? Is he doing it while a DB is, you know, defending him? Can he run the 440? and then turn around and catch the football? Just basic fundamentals is a big thing to me. Sorry, and that's why I never buy into it and then the ridiculous type of questions that are asked during the interview process and how everyone fawns over everyone. And, of course, this year we have it again. He was already building buzz before the Combine, and, of course, I'm talking about Florida quarterback Anthony Richardson. He sets the Combine record, Dawson, for... Uh, best broad jump, best high jump, and all these other metrics. And Look, he looks the part. He's a physical specimen, and everyone's making the comparison to Cam Newton, right, because he's got similar hand size and his built and height and weight and, you know, the measurables and all the other comparables that you do from the combine. But I'm just going to say this, and I understand – front offices, and you've made this point before, D'Lo, that there will be a general manager and a coach that looks at Anthony Richardson and says, I can fix him. All the other stuff you can't teach. He's a natural athlete. He's a freak of nature. I can fix his mechanics. I can fix his uh, his his ability to make plays and his his poor decision-making. I can do all of that. That's why we're going to take this guy in the top 10. Now I'm hearing that he may be the number one overall pick, that he could be a top three pick. He could be the first quarterback taken based on what happened at the Combine because he stole the show. He was dazzling. Here's my thing. You can't compare him to Cam Newton, Dawson, because Cam Newton dominated college football at Auburn. He beat the likes of LSU and Alabama with a slew of future NFL starters on those lineups that year. He went on to win the Heisman Memorial Trophy, and then won the national championship. He put together one of the most dominant seasons we've seen from a quarterback ever. Anthony Richardson struggled to make passes against Vanderbilt. Okay? There's a big difference. Guy who dominated college football compared to a guy who struggles with turnovers and struggles completing 15-yard passes against the likes of Vanderbilt and South Carolina. I know teams are going to fall in love with Anthony Richardson. They already have. They're going to fall more in love with him over this weekend. But he's not Cam Newton. I'm sorry, he's not. He's just not. He's not the same guy. Cam Newton was that dog in college. Anthony Richardson was not. Period.
1: Cam Newton's not the comparison. It's Josh Allen. It's Josh Allen for me. That's the comparison. You make a we want to make a case. Here's the thing. Again, I wouldn't be taking a top five pick uh, and taking Anthony Richardson. I think there's certainly a place for him in the National Football League. If it ends up being the quarterback position, I'd be a little bit surprised. Now, we always kind of becomes a thing with quarterbacks because quarterbacks, newsflash, they like to play quarterback. And a lot of times they don't like being told to play somewhere else. We saw that happen with Tim Tebow. Guy could have been probably a pretty good tight end, fullback, kind of hybrid. He could have been Taysom Hill before Taysom Hill. He didn't want Mm. to do it, right? There you
6: go, there you go.
1: I think Josh Allen's a comparison here, look. I, I think the other thing, too, is when, when, when big landmark things happen in the National Football League, like Josh Allen getting drafted as a, an inaccurate passer, as high as he did, uh, looking pretty bad for a couple of years in the NFL, and then progressing to the point that he is now, where he's a top-five quarterback in the league and an MVP candidate, that changes the way people think of the position and the, the way they think of anything. So now you see that model has been proven once before, even if it's only been proven once out of 40 tries. Their teams are going to look at it and see that. Josh Allen's uh, second year in Wyoming, the year that he played 14 games. His last year, he only played 11 games. Uh, he threw for 3,200 yards, 28 touchdowns, 15 interceptions. Uh, he completed 56% of his passes. Anthony Richardson, this m- most recent season, played in 12 games, so less sample size there. Completed 54% of his passes for 2,500 yards, 17 touchdowns, and 9 interceptions. I mean, he's pretty similar numbers there. Um, and I know those are completely raw numbers that's uh, not exactly comparable to, you know, a full kind of season. Josh Allen ran for 523 yards and seven touchdowns that year for almost four a carry. Anthony Richardson ran for 654 yards and nine touchdowns for six a carry. The numbers are pretty similar, okay? And Josh Allen had tons of inaccuracy issues. I think a lot of people didn't necessarily see him play in college because he played at Wyoming. So when he was taken in the draft, they heard that being said by other people. I think the difference now is people saw Anthony Richardson play because he played in the SEC, and he played against LSU and he played against the top competition. So people saw it. Um, I think that's the difference here. I think he's, I think he's Josh Allen. Now, is, I think he's Josh Allen when Josh Allen was in college. Let me make that clear. I don't think he's Josh Allen today. Can I also get think to that Richardson point? had more Maybe.
0: talent on, the ro- on his roster than Josh Allen did.
1: Certainly, yeah, they certainly did. No, no, that's fair. But I think what we're talking about here, but also he played against tougher competition. So mm-hmm. I think there is a path for Anthony Richardson to be a successful player. Is he getting overhyped right now? Certainly. Um, but also, like, he's getting overhyped by guys who do this for a living that are going to be making decisions that impact rosters, not just by fans and media. So uh, I think somebody's going to love him enough and somebody's going to see the potential. You you know, in the National Football League, everybody's so close, the marginal differences, you have to draft on potential sometimes. So Someone's going to take a shot on him. Uh, I just – I don't think he's going to pan out into the quarterback of the future for someone, but I think he's a great athlete. And I think there's a – like, I would not be shocked if down the road he – Creates a Josh Allen like trajectory, but again, that's something that we haven't seen very much of, and Josh Allen certainly the exception, not the
0: rule. Quickly, do you think he's going to be the first or second quarterback taken?
1: I still think they go Young, Stroud, and then Richardson maybe comes off third.
0: That would be my guess. But yeah, it, then you're looking at someone. I saw a projection that the Seahawks were going to take Richardson and have him sit behind Gino, which may not be a bad idea. The Raiders could take him. Atlanta, yeah, Carolina. There there there's some there's some teams there that could take him. So we'll see. But it does look like he's the one that got the most hype at the combine and he's now going to be shooting up the the draft boards. And we'll talk more about the NFL combine when Ross Jackson joins us this morning coming up at eight thirty from the Locked On Saints podcast. He was in Indianapolis for the combine a.k.a. the Underwear Olympics, will get his thoughts on what he saw there. But coming up next right here on RP3 and Company, we'll talk all things LSU, men's basketball, women's basketball, baseball. They played, allegedly, some competition this weekend. Looks Sure does look like the little sisters of the poor to me. We'll talk all about all that with Jeff Flairmo from Tiger Rag Radio. That's coming up next right here on the game.
2: This is RP3 and Company on the game. 103.7 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Here on RP3 and Company, we talk about the sports you know and love. Baseball, football, basketball, and soccer? Isn't this
5: great, man? I love soccer. Here we go, Galaxy. Here we go.
2: Okay, maybe not soccer. But we'll try to do our best. Back to more knowledgeable sports talk with RP3 and Company on On the the game. game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station.
0: Welcome back to RP3 and Company as we broadcast live from lovely Pensacola, Florida, home of the Sunbelt Conference Tournament. Raging Cajuns will be taking on the Jaguars of South Alabama tonight. Woo! We've been here all weekend. My wife and daughter, Tina and Hattie, back home in lovely sunset are probably starting to forget what I look like. I'll be home sometime this week, possibly, maybe. I'll be home. I'll be home sometime. (laughs) I just need the family to keep the fort down. Speaking of keeping the fort down, that's what our first guest on today's show does all the time. He's the news and sports director for the Louisiana Radio Network. He's also co-host of Tiger Rag Radio. Jeff Palermo joins us now. Jeff, good morning to you, brother. How are you, bud?
7: I'm doing well, Raymond. I hope you're enjoying the Florida Panhandle.
0: You know the Panhandle's always been good to me, Jeff. It's always, uh, it's always, it's always been good to me. And uh, look, I always enjoy coming over to Pensacola. And the weather's actually been really nice. It's a little cloudy today, but all all weekend it was nice and a little windy, breezy, and beautiful temperatures. Uh, great place, a great time, great weather to spend all your time inside watching basketball. <laughs> oh, but all right, so. Let's go back to the weekend here. Uh, LSU men, it's, you know, what, what else can we say about this team? Uh, they had an opportunity to win the ball game. They let it fall uh, slip through their hands again. We've seen this story over and over again. Uh, as they lose to Florida in the regular season finale, they'll be the number 14 seed for the SEC tournament up at uh, the Bridgestone Arena in Nashville. Do you give Matt McMahon's team any chance to even win their first-round game which will be Wednesday night?
7: Uh, I give them a chance just because Georgia isn't really playing all that great either. Uh, They lost to South Carolina on Saturday. So, yeah, I give them a chance to win. And, um, you know, I think LSU here lately has shown the ability to – to stay in these games a little bit longer, but um, beyond Georgia, I don't, I don't know really what you can expect. Uh, you know, a lot of them as far as uh, potentially winning a game, but uh, Georgia has not really looked good here, uh, really since they beat LSU. They haven't won a game since that uh, two point victory over the Tigers back on Valentine's Day. So Georgia brings a five game losing streak into this uh, classic matchup in the SEC tournament.
0: I sense sarcasm when you said the word classic.
7: (laughs) I just think it's dumb that they have these four teams in there. Can I just say that, Raymond? Yeah. I mean, Georgia, South Carolina, Ole Miss, and LSU have no business playing in any conference tournament. Uh, I don't know if they would beat uh, the two teams playing in the Sunbelt Tournament Championship game tonight. So... Um, yeah it's just i understand why it uh, creates a little uh TV coverage for the SEC network it allows them to put something on their airwaves
0: and television revenue money
7: or else they there want to is. do it I don't know is. who is going to these games on Wednesday in Nashville but God bless them
0: i i look i've I've covered the SEC tournament uh one time and Nashville is a great place a great town so Uh, Maybe uh, people are just using the excuse to to go watch their team so they can have a chance just to go to Hattie B's and get some of that famous hot uh, chicken that they have. Uh, The men, uh, they're on the struggle bus. The women, uh, a bit of a surprise, but that game against Tennessee played out in a lot of ways the first time they played. Now, in the first time, Kim Mulkey's team was able to pull out the win, but – this last time on Saturday in the semifinals there in Greenville of the SEC women's tournament, unable to do so. They switched to that zone. LSU had no answer for it. And Tennessee rallied from 14 down to take down the Tigers and hand them only their second loss of the season.
7: Yeah, I would say that's a disappointing loss. Uh, And I understand um, the game probably – well, it it doesn't mean much in the sense that LSU is uh, looking at – being a, a number two seed in the NCAA tournament, but just the fact that they lose to Tennessee, a program that's not where it obviously once was under Pat Summit, uh, LSU uh, in the pecking order in the SEC should be above Tennessee, um, and yet they didn't. They they couldn't. They couldn't get the victory, and um, I don't know what it is. Uh, I, I mean, even Kim Mulkey didn't really have answers after the game. She. Wondered whether it was fatigue, potentially, that uh, may have caused the problem. I, I don't know. Uh, but I, I would say that was a disappointing loss. And, again, I know I know Kim doesn't put much stock into the SEC tournament or conference tournaments in general. Um, it was a long shot that they would even beat South Carolina on Sunday, but they, they shouldn't be losing to Tennessee. And, um, well, hopefully it puts a bad taste in their mouth and they can recover – Uh, in time for the NCAA tournament.
0: Do you believe, Kim, because she's such a veteran coach, do you believe with the time off that she can actually use this loss to her advantage and kind of have her team do a little bit of a reset and have them be even more focused heading into the NCAA tournament?
7: Yeah, I think so. I think so. I think, it. you know, if you're bringing up the word – being tired or fatigued, I think the time off will certainly be beneficial for them. Now, they're not going to play another game at the earliest until a week from Friday. They don't have to travel for the first two rounds. Uh, So they'll just be in Baton Rouge, um, a chance for them to kind of just uh, get their bearings together. But, man, they really – They looked good on Friday, and they looked so good when they were building that 17-point lead. Uh, They were creating turnovers. Uh, They looked quick. They looked fresh. And then it just kind of just, it it all fell apart on them. So, uh, learning lesson. Uh, Other teams outside of South Carolina can beat them, so let's see if they can stay focused. Uh, an early departure. I want to. I mean, I understand they got to the semifinals of the SEC tournament, but they had an early departure last year from the SEC tournament, and then uh, they barely beat Jackson State in the first round of the NCAA tournament and then lost in the second round. So uh, hopefully this team – you just wonder if this team, you know, really uh, – you know, if if they played their they just haven't played their best you just kind of wonder if this team peaked too soon, right? I mean, they, they were playing I think some of their best basketball in January obviously through the non-conference they ran over everybody they faced there, and in the month of February it's been an absolute grind and uh, that grind uh, obviously continued uh, on Saturday with the loss to Tennessee
0: We're talking with Jeff Palermo, he's the co-host of Tiger Rag Radio, joins us here on our P3 and companies, we're talking all things purple and gold. Let's switch over to the baseball team. Um, they played games, I guess, this weekend, 12-2 um, <laughs> to two over Butler on Friday. And then they took on the fighting Blue Devils of Central Connecticut yeah. State. Uh, and they outscored them in the two games, which were mercy-ruled, a total of 39-4. to four. My question to you, Jeff, is – Uh, Did Central Connecticut State get one of those million-dollar paydays like they do in football to come in and take the whooping?
7: Uh, Yeah, it was uh, batting practice this weekend at the box. Um, You know, I kind of was following it, but not really, (laughs) Raymond, because these games against these type of uh, teams—Butler picked to finish last in the Big East, Central Connecticut State. Come on, you know, it's, it's, they're, you know, they're not, no one's going to think that they're, you know, the Boston Red Sox coming down here. Um, so, so, but they are impressive on how they just absolutely are just crushing these guys. And then you, you get a guy like Cade Beloso coming off the bench and he's hitting bombs on you. Um, Yeah, so I don't know really what you're getting out of this other than a lot of guys are getting some swings up there. A lot of guys are feeling good about themselves. But uh, this is not really any kind of competition at all.
0: Get chatter with this, brother. Um, Look, I I think the NFL Combine is one of the more overrated events that uh, we tend to cover, that we tend to talk about. But uh, there was a lot of buzz in all the uh, worst ways possible about Kayshaun Butte's performance at the Combine, slow 40-yard dash, didn't do some other things really well, a lot of people uh, that turned their heads for all the wrong reasons. Um, Do you still believe Butte is going to be a first-round draft pick, or do you think he's going to be a second-day guy?
7: Yeah, I don't think he's going to be a first-round pick. I mean, a a 4-5 in the 40, um, I'm sure – NFL teams have a better idea on why he just suddenly left the LSU program uh, before the bowl game. Obviously, there, there's rumors out there on why he had, why he did. Um, you gotta wonder, where, you know, just where he's at right now. You know, um, a guy that uh, ended up having two surgeries, a guy that still might not be fully healthy. Uh, what kind of distractions are there off the field? He obviously recently became a father. Um, that. Uh, obviously, could be play a role into this, um, but yeah, it's um, it's not good for Kayshawn. He's got uh, uh, he. I mean, I, I guess uh, we'll see. Maybe he can perform a little bit better at, the, at LSU's pro day, which I think is going to be at the end of the month here, and maybe maybe that will improve him. But I I really worry a little bit about his NFL future in general. You know, I think that's the that's got to be a concern.
0: Jeff, appreciate your time as always, brother. Keep up the tremendous work with Tiger Rag Radio, and we'll talk to you next Monday. Bud, enjoy your week. All right, man. Sounds good.
2: Thanks, Raymond. You too. This is RP3 and company on the game. 103.7 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. RP3 grew up dreaming of one day playing right field for the Atlanta Braves, just like his hero, Dale Murphy.
0: I wanted to grow up and be Dale
2: Murphy. Little Raymond, though, wasn't quite the caliber of athlete of his childhood hero, as his lone highlights as a ball player were being beat twice in the head. Explains a lot. Back to more RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Southwest Louisiana's Louisiana's sports
0: Sports station. Station. Oh, me oh my crawfish pie. Woo! Hour number two coming to a close as we're broadcasting live here from P. Cola, home of the Sunbelt Conference Tournament. UL men, oh man, they're trying to get to the NCAA tournament for the first time since 2014. They'll have to beat South Alabama tonight inside the Pensacola Bay Center. Tip is scheduled for 6 o'clock. That leads us to our poll question of the day. We asked you, will the Cajuns book their ticket to the big dance with a win tonight? Right now, 76% of you are optimistic. You're being positive. You say yes. 14% say no. 10% 10% say unsure, and uh, plenty of writing votes about Dawson Iserlo having his own show. Well, that didn't take long. That didn't take long at all, d Are you ready for your own show? Are you ready to kick me to the curb? Are you ready to replace me? Am I just going to be thrown out like the garbage now? Is that what's happening?
1: Yeah, I kind of feel like this already is my show. <laughs> Kidding. That's a joke. That <laughs> well,
0: well, well, you are in there by yourself today. Yeah, that was kind of where the joke was coming studios. from.
1: Yeah, I guess a little more context would have been better. I know I haven't been up on the uh, – <laughs> On the simulcast at all because of our issues, but I am here in the uh, Evco Development Studios.
0: The man is in the Evco Development Studios. You do have the big cardboard cutout of uh, Messy. Yeah, you we're gonna move them over.
1: We're gonna try and um, we're gonna we're gonna do something with that. we'll, we'll you'll see it on social media later <laughs> on. We're gonna do something with that.
0: Outstanding. That's gonna do it for hour number two. Hour number three coming up. We'll talk to Hunter Bauer from gopreps.com get a preview of all the semifinal action for boys basketball here in the state of Louisiana. That's next, right here on the game. Oh, yeah.
3: Oh, yeah. Everything, everything. Everything going to be all right this morning. Live from the Delta Media
2: Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is producer Dawson Izerlowe and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3.
0: Oh, me oh my crawfish pie. Welcome back to RP3 and Company. 803 on this Glorious Monday morning, the Louisiana Raging Cajuns will be taking on the South Alabama Jaguars this evening. Right down the road from where I'm at here in Pensacola, at the Pensacola Bay Center. Tip is set for 6 o'clock. Winner of that tilt between the Jaguars and the Cajuns gets to go to the NCAA Tournament. Cajuns trying to get there for the first time since 2014. Lots going on. NFL Combine just wrapped up in Indianapolis. We'll talk more about that with Ross Jackson from the Locked On Saints podcast when he joins us a half hour from right now. But also going on, the Girls' State Championships for basketball just wrapped up over in Hammond. The semifinals and finals, guess what, are tipping off this week over in Lake Charles. And to give us a preview about what's going to be happening with the boys, is the man... Behind GoPreps.com, the most trusted source for high school sports information here in the state of Louisiana. Hunter Bauer joins us. Hunter, good morning to you, brother. How are you, my friend?
8: Hey, Raymond. Thanks for having me on. I uh, I don't know. I feel like I'm pulling double duty with this week with the uh, Southland Conference Tournament going on over here as well as the uh, the Boys' Marsh Madness. But, uh, it's, it's basketball galore over in Lake Charles, but uh, that's the way we like it. A lot of action going on.
0: The man has a small one at home and feels like he needs to be doing multiple jobs. Like you don't got enough on your plate with the little <laughs> one, too, brother. That's you... right. You're right. <laughs> All right, man. Let's get right to it. The uh, event nicknamed Marsh Madness, which um, I'm still – I don't know. I don't know how I feel about it, and it's been almost 10 years. But <laughs> let's get right to it. Let's start with Division One non-select semifinals. Nish, New Iberia Senior High, they've been one of the surprise teams – Of the season, their head coach formerly coached the Bro Bridge Tigers, led them to a state championship on the hardwood a few years ago. They're the one seed. They got tested in the regional round, gutted out a one-point win over East Ascension, but they defeated North Shore fairly easily. They're going to be taking on Walker in the semifinals this week there at Burden Coliseum. What do you make of Nish, bud?
8: I, you know, I think this is certainly the year that uh, they can they can finally get over that hurdle and, uh, and get to the state title game. And you know Walker's always been a, a good opponent to go up against in the uh, in in the basketball tournament. Uh, but you know, when you got really good athletes uh, like uh, Wayne Rish- Bechet, I hope I'm saying that right. But, I mean Grass eleven boards per game. Uh, you know, just really, really great athletes that can go out there on the floor and, uh, and, and get it for, for New Iberia. You know, they went in, defeated the, the runner-up from year, north Shore, which, you know, they have Cohen Rothbottom who is a really good athlete, uh, beat them pretty handedly. So, you know, the road to this title, and, and it, it, it really pains me, uh, Raymond, because, you know, Zachary is, is not in this bracket. We all know what happened there. Uh, but you would have loved to seen how a New Iberia or a Ponchatoula or a Rustin would have gone up against Zachary. But I mean, just goes to show you we're going to get a new champion this year, and it's going to be—they're uh, going to earn it. They really are.
0: The Division One non-select semifinals; the other one being, of course, Ponchatoula versus Rustin. That should be a good game. The three-two matchup that won't be until Thursday, the last day of the semifinals. Let's go over to. Division 2 non select. Wassman taking on Bozier. That's a 1 4 matchup in one semifinal. And then Carroll and Iowa, 2 3 matchup in the other semifinals. All chalk there in the Division 2 non select. Who do you like there, Hunter?
8: A lot of people are talking about this. Well, uh, potential Walsman Carroll uh, matchup in the finals. But I tell you what, you need to watch out for the uh, Iowa Yellow Jackets. Uh, Coach Rob Melanson has got uh, these jackets rolling. Um, got them to the quarterfinals last year, came up just a bit short. Uh, I always got the tools. Um, they have a, uh, a uh, uh, junior guard, uh, Deshaun Caesar, uh, averaging 24 points per game, but they also have two other. Uh, guards averaging 14 points per game as well. They've just been rolling. Uh, You can't take away anything from Carroll and Watson, and they're always in the mix this late in the season, in the postseason, uh, as well as Bozier. Bozier went to the state title game last year. But I think Iowa is going to be the dark horse among these four, and I really wouldn't be surprised uh, if Iowa goes in and uh, wins this thing and brings it back to south – or keeps it in southwest Louisiana – This year, but no doubt, you know, wasman they went to uh, the the title game last year as well. Um, It's gonna be interesting to see a lot of basketball, uh, a lot of great basketball teams in this uh, non select Division 2. Any one of them can win it, but look for Iowa to make some shocks around the world.
0: Moving on to Division 3, non select, it's chalk just like Division 2 is number one seed Port Allen's going to be taking on number four seed Patterson in one semifinal and then the other semifinal. number three seed Winfield versus number two seed French settlement chalk just like the other bracket. How do you like this one?
8: Yeah, you know you got to look at Port Allen uh defending state champions coming in number one seed uh you know pretty much handled all their opponents so far. Uh, going up against a, a good Patterson squad, but you know Winfield has also been one of those teams that has just uh, kind of flown under the radar. Tw- they were twenty three and four coming into the playoffs. Uh, you know, I like how four, like, Hunter,
0: I like how a team that's twenty three and four is under the radar. I t- <laughs> I, I, I like that. You know, I mean, but but, but in that bracket, those, those it's the truth, central, right? In that bracket, it's the truth.
8: Yeah, and it, and the thing about it, Raymond, is, is that it's so weird because that Central Louisiana area. I, I feel like they're always under the radar just because really no one ever really talks about them up until, you know, this time of the year. And Winfield has four of their five starters averaging uh, double scoring figures. And, uh, you know, I think they're just a team. It's almost like a team of destiny. Uh, they just gone through and, uh, you know, they beat a good Richwood team in the quarterfinals, uh, beat a good uh, usually a good Rose Pine team in, in one of the opening rounds. So, uh, But you got to get put past Fort Allen. Fort Allen's really good, again, the Santa State champions coming back to try to reclaim their crown or try to keep their crown uh, to look for Winfield to make some noise in this bracket.
0: We're talking with Hunter Bauer. He's the editor and owner of gopreps.com. He joins us here in RP3 and Company. All right, bud, let's go to Division IV non-select. East Feliciana is the one seed, but they're taking on a perennial team that's always in the mix. It's right there in our backyard, North Central there in St. Landry Parish. Uh, what kind of chance do you give North Central, and who do you like there in this bracket?
8: Yeah, you know, North Central, just that team that's always uh, always in the mix, it's, it's crazy seeing them as a four seed. Usually they're, you know, one of the top two seeds. Uh, but, you know, they, they still got Leburn Laverne, who, who is uh, a really good hands to them, and, uh, you know, I don't know. This is, one of, this is where it gets weird in the new divisions with a 1A going up against the 2A school. You know, East Feliciana actually has done pretty well um, in this bracket in multiple sports. So it's going to be interesting to see how North Central can can uh, handle uh, uh, the 2A numbers, uh, which I think would make a, a title win even sweeter because on the other side, you got White Castle and Franklin, Franklin being a 2A school. Um, so if you can get a 1A and a 2A school together in a state championship and, and get the 1A over the 2A, uh, definitely would be a, a pretty cool, a pretty cool thing. Um, but you know, again, never count out North Central. Defend the state champions as well. Uh, I think their chances are pretty good going in.
0: Let's head over to the select side, and I want to start with Division One. Once again, it's a lot of chalk in these brackets this year with the way they restructured things. Scotlandville is your one seed. They're taking on Huntington, the four seed, in one semifinal match there at Burden Coliseum, and the other one, Catholic of Baton Rouge, the three-seed taking on the fighting Danny Broussards. That's right, the two-seed, St. Thomas More, the Cougars. That'll be Wednesday night at 8 o'clock. What do you like? Who do you like in this bracket, and do you think STM has a chance to win the whole thing?
8: I really think they do. You know, Scotlandville uh, as the number one seed. They're going to be tough to beat, but I will say this. Uh, you know, even though Huntington's a traditional uh, public school, I think they're going to give Scotlandville uh, some trouble in that semifinal game. Huntington's a really good basketball school. Uh, went up against uh, Southwood over there in their neck of the woods. Had a really tight game, but uh, that those are two really, really traditional power uh, powerhouses in basketball. Um, on the flip side, you know, I think St. Thomas More has a really good chance. Man, they just they're so good. Thirty and four on the year. Double scoring figures of the war, led by, you know, you got Michael Mouton, you got Chad Jones, you got Mason Guillory, uh, and a host of others that can come off the bench and play for Danny and Coach Danny. And uh, uh, I really do. But, you know, Catholics, they're they're really good as well. They got a lot of uh, guys that can come in there and score and and grab boards. Uh, I really like that matchup, though. I think that's going to be a really good matchup for people to go watch. It's an 8 o'clock game. Uh, so I think you're going to have a good crowd there. It's going to be a great atmosphere. Uh, this Division One bracket, it's going to be interesting to watch, see how it plays out. I'd love to see like a Huntington Catholic – I mean a Huntington-St. Thomas-Moore uh, matchup. This would be a unique matchup in that bracket. Uh, would make for uh, for good talk amongst the state.
0: We'll get you out of with this one, brother. I want to go to Division Three because in Division Three is the lowest-seeded team of any of the boys' teams that made it to the semifinals. The only double-digit seed – to make it to the semifinals, and it's one in our backyard. Catholic High of New Iberia, the 10 seed, they make it to the state semifinals for the first time in program history, and they did so by taking down number seven seed St. Charles in a low-scoring affair and then upsetting number two seed Metairie Park Country Day. Whoo! Great season for the Panthers down in New Iberia. Can they take down the three-seed Calvary Baptist, though?
8: I think it's going to be tough. I really do. Calvary Baptist, again, they're also a team that uh, I think this is their year. They've, they've come up short the last couple of years in a row. Um, you know, they're really determined to get there to the state title game and, and win it, uh, which is going to be tough because you have to go up against, uh, you know, I think, you know, Newman's going to uh, advance to the finals. They're just so loaded and talented again this year. But this is why they call it Marsh Madness, Raymond. This is uh, you just never know. Uh, you know, Catholic's one of those teams that seems like they're a team of destiny as well. Um, beat a good St. Charles team, upset Country Day uh, on the road. Uh, so you know, neutral neutral site, 4:45 um, p.m. game. You just never know. It it may be the right right timing, but uh, Calgary Baptist they they really are. They're they're a talented team. They're loaded. Uh, they're led by uh, Rondé Hill, who averages 16 points a game, six assists. So Um, you know, it won't be easy, but again, like I said, March Madness, uh, that time of year upsets happen and, uh, Cinderella happens, team of destiny happens, never can count them out.
0: Hunter, appreciate the time as always, brother. Keep up the tremendous work you're doing there with gopreps.com. It's my go-to place when it comes to high school sports and information, brother, Uh, and try to get you some rest. I know it's going to be a busy week, my friend. We'll talk to you soon.
8: Sounds good, Remy. Y'all stay safe down
2: there. This is RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Want to join in the discussion with RP3? Then just give us a call on the hotline. You know the number. Two, four, niner, five, six, seven,
3: eight. I
5: can't hear you. You're trailing off. And did I catch a niner in there? Were you calling from a walkie-talkie?
2: No need to be embarrassed. Just call us at 337-706-0111. Back to more RP3 and company on, on the, the game. game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station.
6: I'm thankful for this week, I mean, you know, we encountered things have been going great for us and uh, we encountered a lot of adversity and we got exposed. I got exposed. We got exposed as a team and, and uh, how we handled it and stayed together throughout the week uh, speaks volumes to uh, how tough we are mentally, how, how together those boys are and that we're a good team. and uh, if you're not a good team, you don't get up off the mat against that team. Uh, they're really, really good, and, and uh, I would expect those guys over there with their pitching and offense, uh, you know, it's nice to have one. Like, we've got a great pitching staff or we have, we have a great offense. They have both, and uh, I expect them to play for a long time, just like I expect that out of us. Uh, if you go through our schedule, there's a, most of the games could go either way except for two of them. And so, at some point, you're going to get challenged, and we did this week. And uh, to come out today with some different guys, answer the bell, and Jackson Nezu, Nezu give us the start that he gave us, uh, I think sets us up pretty good moving forward.
0: That's Louisiana Raging Cajuns skipper. Matt Deggs, following his team's 14-7 to win in the finale of the three-game series there at the Teague against Campbell, once again, Campbell's a good ball club. They went to an NCAA regional a year ago that they're defending Big South champs. And they know what it takes to win. And this is a great early season series for Matt Deggs' team. And he talked about some of the adversity that they faced this past week and that it's going to be good, that they were able to push through. They lost the midweek game to McNeese on the road. Then they dropped the first two games against Campbell. They're able to salvage the series and you know, kind of deal with some early season adversity. Yesterday, Carson Rockerfort, man, he went two for five with an RBI triple, but he had two of those sensational highlight reel catches in the seventh inning. He did his job. Max finally got off the schneid, hit his first career grand slam as they scored eight runs in the first inning. But Dawson, for me, what I'm a little concerned about, and I know it's early, and I get that, it's only March the 6th, does this team have enough pitching? They gave up 10 runs in the finale against BYU, which they won 11-10. to 10. Then they give up five runs to McNeese. Then they give up five runs to Campbell. Then they give up eight runs to Campbell. Then they give up seven runs to Campbell. They can rake. They can hit with the best of them. I just don't know if you want to depend on your team scoring – seven, eight, nine runs a game to be able to win. I mean, most times, if you put up eight runs in the first inning of a game, that should be plenty. It wasn't enough yesterday. It, you know, they, they still had to get some insurance runs because Campbell was able to, to come back in that ball game. I guess the big question for me still as it stands, does the K, do the Cajuns have enough pitching?
1: Well, first and foremost, I'd like to welcome our uh, viewers on the simulcast and let it know that it's finally fully functioning, so we apologize for the technical difficulties. Not sure how many segments you've had audio on today, but... Anyway, yeah, no, I think the this wasn't, for me, this isn't the weekend to panic about pitching because I think this is maybe the best offense you're going to face all regular season. Maybe Texas State has something to say about that, maybe Southern mm-hmm. Miss, but okay, that's I think fair. it's up there. I think Campbell, look, they scored a million runs in the regionals last year. They did it against top competition, so it's not like it's just something they do in their own conference. Um, they can just swing it, and they did, and so... You know, the other thing is I actually was a little bit encouraged. I thought Hammond was fine on Friday. Um, you know, he's not going to have his best stuff every time out, so I still trust him as your Friday night guy. I thought He Neza was okay. Was, I thought Neza yep. was pretty good on, on Sunday, um, and I think that that's kind of a, a nice thing. The fact that they stuck him back out there shows me how much confidence coaching staff has in the young man, and he's starting to come around. So I thought his stuff looked a lot better. Um, the Saturday situation, we'll see what happens with McGee coming down the road. Of course, he was the guy and then he's been out with some, some forearm tightness. So Tommy Ray stepped in and Tommy Ray has been a little inconsistent throughout his entire and Cajun career. I think there's a role for him somewhere though, in this pitching staff. So I don't know if he's going to be the Saturday starter every week, or if he's going to settle back into, uh, maybe a bullpen role or a midweek role. But, um, I, I think I see enough quality arms. So I think that's something that I'm, I'm, I'm actually feeling more optimistic about now. They do have I to have to better. see more.
0: I, I, I still have to see more. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not panicking. It's just we'll have to see some of these guys step up and develop because they do give up way too many runs. And they do have some you know, sloppiness with the glove work, right, some errors. And I know Coach Deggs isn't thrilled about that, and you know I'm sure he's addressing it with this team. And once again, it's still early. It's just a team that can hit as well as they can. The one thing that's lacking right now is the pitching, There's still time for that to develop, right? That's the whole thing. It's still early. We're only, what, the third week of the season. Um, So they can still turn a corner there, but they're going to have to have some guys kind of improve. And you you just can't, you know, average giving up, you know, six six runs a game. You you just can't if you want to achieve everything that they want to achieve. And that's, you know, win a conference tournament and get back to an NCAA regional. Let's switch over to the softball team. Texas is a ranked opponent, and the Longhorn Invitational ended up with the Cajuns beating the teams we expected them to beat, and they lost to the ranked opponents. It's early for them as well, Jerry Glasgow's team. They're 2-7 and seven now against teams ranked in the top 25, and one of those wins came against the, 25, the 25th ranked team in the country at the time, UCF. I know it's early. But the pitching situation for the Cajun softball program also is something that I'm paying attention to as well. Whether it's Landry or Shorman or whoever it may be, it doesn't seem solidified just yet, Dawson. Once again, it's early, right? They started their season a week before the baseball team did. but And I understand they're playing top competition. I get that as well but they're not going to have many more opportunities facing anyone that is ranked. Um, we'll have to see the latest rankings to see if this uh, the Boobly Invitational that they're going to go play in this coming weekend uh, down in Florida, when they're going to take on the likes of Rutgers in Florida, if any of them are going to be ranked. But what do you make of the pitching and some of the struggles that we're seeing from the Raging Cajun softball, t- softball team against good competition?
1: Yeah, so my message... To the fans that are getting a little anxious here, I understand it, but not all top 25 teams are created equally would be what I'd say. And once again, with Texas, you're not just playing a top 25 team, a fringe top 25 team. You're playing a top 15 uh, borderline top 10 team, which is kind of what the situation was in Clearwater. So, yeah, is this team now – did I have some hopes at the beginning of the year that maybe this team was a top 10 team in the country? I did, and maybe that was a little bit uh, ambitious of me to think – But I think now we know they're not a top 10 team, at least not at this point in the season. They're more of that between 15 and 25, maybe even towards 30 range of teams. That's still fine. That still means you're going to be an NCAA tournament team. Um, I think they, they haven't, yeah, again, the thing is they haven't lost to anybody outside of maybe the Michigan game where you say they really should have beat that team on paper beforehand. Yeah.
0: The Michigan game, they should have. Yeah, they should have beat that right.
1: team. Right, um, and still, Michigan's not a bad team. It's not like a, a random midweek loss to an end state opponent. That's not you know a top-tier competition like we've seen them do in the past. So, you know, you're sitting there thirteen and eight, and you still have some quality wins. You have a win over Indiana. We'll see if the if the Hoosiers can do something in Big Ten play to make that win look better. You have the big win over UCF on the road. You have a win over LSU. You have a win over Ole Miss. So, like at the same time, yeah, you have some losses on your on your schedule here. Uh, maybe more so than you expected to have at this point, but you still have some really quality wins and you are going to play a couple more really good teams. Rutgers twice in Florida, twice should be a great test. Um, and remember down the stretch, they still play Baylor and Texas A&M in a Correct. couple of midweek games later on. They still have a couple more games against McNeese, who we expect at the very least to kind of be an RPI booster. We think the Cowboys will probably do pretty well in Southern Conference play. So you still have a lot in front of you. The pitching thing, you know, I'll get back to that because that was your original question. Um, yeah, it's concerning. I I think Sam's been a little disappointing for me to this point. Now she's got plenty of time to get things figured out. Megan has seemed like more of the ace to this point. She didn't have a great, uh, you know, start against Texas over the weekend. I'm still waiting to see Kendra Lamb kind of come into her own a little bit, have a little bit more of a bigger role too, because you know, Carrasco's. He's talked about it a little bit. He hasn't really given us a core, you know, a concrete answer. He's kind of said it's all been matchup dependent, and they like where she is, and they like the role. They think she's pitched well. He just has yeah. I'm in
0: surprised her. we haven't seen more from Lamb, right? And I know he, like he said, it's about matchup and matchups and everything like that. But she's, you know, not pitched as much as I thought she would. Um, so look, look once again, Dawson. We got plenty of time. They have some time to figure this out. They still have AM. They still have Baylor. Like you said, they play Rutgers in Florida twice each this coming weekend, and they still play McNeese twice. So they'll have some opportunities to get some quality wins to help with that, you know, to, to help with their strength of schedule and everything like that. But pitching is still the you know, the question mark for this team, and can it get better as the season progresses? That's my big question mark for both the softball and the baseball programs. We got to take a timeout. When we return here on RP3 and Company, we'll talk the latest with the New Orleans Saints. Lots of rumor going out that it's come down to two teams, the Jets and the Saints for Derek Carr, that he's leaning towards the Jets. Is that just a smokescreen for Derek to get more money, possibly from the Saints? And what about the NFL Combine? Ross Jackson from the Locked On Saints podcast. We'll talk about all of that and more when he joins us next right here on The Game.
2: This is RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. RP3 is known across Acadiana as a master of the English language.
0: You look at all the guys that they got: Clinton Anukoraru, and I don't know how to pronounce this young man's name. TJ Falola, more like a master of broken English, that is. They also added an inside linebacker, Casey Usawi. These names are killing me, man. I even practiced last night.
3: <laughs> me fail English? That's impossible.
0: Now
2: back to that that. silky Silky smooth delivery of RP3 and Company on the the game. Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station.
0: Welcome back to RP3 and Company as we broadcast live from Pensacola, just a few miles down the road from the Pensacola Bay Center home of the Sunbelt Conference Tournament. The Raging Cajun Men will take on the South Alabama Jaguars tonight. Six o'clock is tip. Winner goes to the NCAA Tournament. Of course, while we're here, Dawson Iserloh, soon-to-be producer extraordinaire, is back there inside the EVCO Development Studios in Upper Lafayette. And right now it's time for us to welcome on our third and final guest on today's RP3 and Company. He's the host of the Locked on Saints podcast, He's also a man that does it all. He's Mr. Positivity. And hopefully, he's going to give Saints fans some good news about Derek Carr. Ross Jackson joins us now. Ross, good morning to you, brother. How are you, my friend? Hey, buddy. Doing great. Doing great. Uh, glad
4: to be back in the uh, great and warm city of, of New Orleans because uh, Andy almost got me, man. Andy almost got me.
0: Cold. <laughs> Andy cold, almost bro. got him, he says. Uh, I want to get to the combine. <laughs> Uh, But I want to start with Derek Carr. Lots of reports out there that says this basically came down to two teams now, the New York Jets and the New Orleans Saints. Some say that he's leaning towards the Jets, but others speculate that it could just be a smokescreen for him to negotiate more money. Where do we stand on Derek Carr, and how do you feel about his chances of signing with the New Orleans Saints?
4: Yeah, I, I still feel pretty good about where the the Saints are positioned in all this. The Saints feel very good about where they are um, in this conversation as well. And I think this most recent report that came out Sunday night uh, about him, you know, Derek Carr having sort of this quote slight lean to the New York Jets. Yeah, it could very well be a little bit of you know public negotiation. This is this is a part of the process. This is always a part of the process. Is that there's a you know always a second team? There's always another team uh, you know, that is interested or that they're leaning towards, that they're having great meetings with and things like that. The Jets have been very loud about their time uh with Derek Carr, despite the fact that Derek Carr doesn't even really feel like the Jets first option, right? They want to know what's going on with Aaron Rodgers. And so I, I think the thing to to look out for here is maybe the course of the next forty eight to seventy two hours is, you know, how did the New Orleans Saints respond? Do they do they see this as an opportunity for them to get this done? Because that's kind of where they are. And let's be honest, like the, the Saints want Derek Carr. They really like him. They think that he's a natural-born leader. They think you know, they love his work ethic. He he, has, he checks a lot of the boxes of the things that the New Orleans Saints really value at the quarterback position. And so if I were to you know, sort of put a percentage to it a little bit, I would probably still lean a little bit more towards the New Orleans Saints. Um, put it around 60% or so that he could potentially end up in in New Orleans, but obviously anything can happen. He could easily end up in the Jets uh, with the Jets, but everything that I heard over at over in Indianapolis up until that most recent report was that the Saints were the ones that were most uniquely positioned. So hopefully they can hold on hold on to that positioning and uh, get this deal done and get the quarterback that they want for 2023.
0: When do you expect the deal to be
4: done with Derek Carr, Ross? I think it would be soon. I mean, I would imagine that it would be this week. And, and, and the reason being that that would give Derek Carr an opportunity to go out there and sort of, you know, uh, recruit a little bit in terms of the uh, free agency period opening uh, on, the, on the 15th in earnest. But the legal negotiation periods, or as we like to call it, legal tampering period, uh, <laughs> opens up around uh, on the 13th. So they've got a couple of days ahead to where you can start you know, agreeing, quote, agreeing in principle to contracts with players and things like that. And so I think that it's in Derek Carr's best interest and that whoever he does sign with, uh, it's in their best interest as well. So if they get that contract ready to get that quarterback contract in and done, and then they can build around and know what their resources are as, as they go through that. If you go into, um, you know, the legal negotiation period or the free agency period with quarterback on your list, you're at a situation where everyone's multitasking and trying to address all these other positions at the same time. And while you're trying to address quarterback, it's a lot easier to get quarterback out of the
0: way first and then start to build the team around that player. Besides the Derek Carr situation and whether he's going to go to the Jets or to the Saints, I know quarterback was a big topic of discussion at the NFL Combine and no one really did themselves more of a favor, right, than Anthony Richardson. Look, for sure. Ross, I, I, I'll i start off with this before I give my take. Did his combine performance, has that vaulted Anthony Richardson from a top-ten pick to possibly the first quarterback taken in the draft?
4: I don't think he'll be the first quarterback taken in the draft. He lacks what 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 he doesn't lack in athleticism, size, all those other things. He lacks pretty substantially when it comes to accuracy and the ability to throw an on target path. And that's a big thing for NFL teams. So I think that NFL teams very likely – Depending upon who falls in love with them now, now that's the big thing. You know, We expect the Chicago Bears to potentially move out of pick one. Uh, very likely that would be the Houston Texans moving up from two to one to make sure nobody jumps them for their top quarterback, who is, is more likely Bryce Young. So I still think Bryce Young is the first quarterback off the board here. But honestly, if the right team jumps, if the Carolina Panthers jump, if somebody like that ends up getting up to the top, then maybe maybe a guy like Anthony Richardson does go off the board first. But if the scenarios play out the way that we expect them to and for the Houston Texans possibly be making the first quarterback selection, then I would still expect that to probably be Bryce Young off the board to, to start. But Anthony Richardson certainly helped himself with that fantastic combine performance.
0: Freak nature, and yeah. a lot of folks were making the comparables I saw on social media comparing his height, weight, hand size, all the measurables that you do there at the combine to Cam Newton in... I I asked people earlier on the show, to let's pump the brakes there. And Mm -hmm. this isn't a knock on Anthony, but I remember watching Cam Newton dominate college football. I remember Mm -hmm. him beating LSU and Alabama filled with NFL guys on their roster. I remember him winning the Heisman. I remember him winning the national championship. He put together one of the greatest dominant seasons we've ever seen by a quarterback in modern college football history. I watch Anthony Richardson struggle to throw passes against Vanderbilt. Yep. So I, 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 I get it. He's got all the stuff you can't teach, right? You can't coach size, strength, athletic ability. You can coach the other things. It's Mm-mm. only going to take one team to go, yeah, he struggles with consistency. He struggles with accuracy. He struggles with decision-making, more importantly, especially in-game decision-making. But I can fix him, we can fix him, and we can get a guy that's going to be an MVP candidate. That's all it takes, right?
4: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, my comparison for him, even though I don't really, I'm not really a huge fan of pro comparisons because it it always comes with that sort of list of expectations and everything like that, but my comparison for him is maybe a little bit more akin to Josh Allen. Um, Josh Allen didn't necessarily dominate throughout college. Um, He had, you know, a fantastic arm and he had a lot of things that you know people liked about him when he was playing at Wyoming, but he was playing against lesser competition. He didn't necessarily dominate that lesser competition. He stood out. Don't get me wrong, uh, but you know he wasn't he wasn't a Cam Newton, right? And so, and and he his big question mark coming into the NFL was: Can he hit the side of a barn? Can he can he throw an accurate football? And so, what did the Buffalo Bills do? They draft him at seven, um, and then they worked with him and worked with him worked with him. And just like you said, all the things that. You can't teach Josh Allen his height, his size, his speed, his athleticism, his resilience, all those things. Those things carry him, but the things that you can coach, how to deliver a more accurate ball, how to improve your your throwing mechanics, how to improve your anticipation skills, how to read the field, they taught him those things, and now he is this version of Josh Allen, who's one of the best quarterbacks in today's game. And I think the same thing can happen with Anthony Richardson. He's just got to fall in with the right coaching staff, and the right team that won't try to change him and instead will try to allow him to be who he is but work on those pieces of his game in terms of delivering an accurate football that will make him better. You can teach that. If you can teach Anthony Richardson that, then he becomes a great quarterback of our time. But if you can't, then, you know, there's going to be a lot of question marks about what he can be at the next level.
0: Quarterbacks, Bryce Young did the official measurements there at the Combine, and as expected, he's small. I I watched him play. He's a short kid. He just is. And he's small and he's not necessarily bulky either. And traditionally speaking, Kyler Murray, Baker Mayfield, Johnny Manziel, guys that are undersized, under 5, you know, 11, that are a little bit slim build, typically struggle. At the next level, the big exception being, of course, Russell Wilson. What is your evaluation of what Bryce Young brings to the table? And does his mental maturity offset the fact that he is undersized? I think it
4: does. I think that's a big part of it. I think his natural ability to improvise and the fact that you're looking at an NFL game today that wants to move the quarterback off, you know, that defensive players want to move the quarterback off of its spot. Offenses want to give that quarterback as many spots as he can have. That way, if he gets moved off one, he just goes to another. So that's why you see a lot of moving pockets, why you see a lot of rollouts, a lot of play action boots, things like that, that are designed to move the quarterback. And I think that those things allow you to be able to work with an undersized quarterback, especially one that has the elite mechanics, the elite you know, arm, everything it is that Bryce Young has. Will he work out at the next level? We don't know, right? A lot of top five quarterbacks don't. In fact, probably most top five quarterbacks don't. Uh, it's certainly the NFL draft. I mean, look at the New York Jets over recent years. But for a team that wants to invest in a Bryce Young and that believes very strongly in his abilities, I think his mental maturity, his ability to be able to move, throw from different spots, his ability to be able to improvise, and just his, his arm talent as a whole. And I don't just mean you know arm strength. I mean his arm talent. He can deliver a tight window throw. He can deliver big time throws. He can deliver all of these things and he knows how to operate and run an offense that's going to attack at all three levels and is a and has worked in a Nick Saban offense which teaches you to take what a defense gives you. And so because of the fact that he's not out there playing hero ball, that he's comfortable throwing over the middle of the field, that he's comfortable throwing behind or at the line of scrimmage, those things will allow him to be able to translate to the NFL game. The big thing is how does it change? How does his game change when he's met with the speed of the NFL game, particularly on the defensive line. It's a little bit easier to be a small quarterback when you've got ages to throw in the backfield because your offensive line is more dominant than talented defensive lines, especially in college where a lot of talented edge rushers get moved to other positions, tight ends, things like that. And so what is what happens when you get to the NFL level and every single week you're playing the best defensive line you've played against in your, your playing career? That's going to be the big question for Bryce Young to be able to answer. You look at all the those undersized quarterbacks that haven't panned out. You look at the couple that have. And the thing to always remember is that just because it hasn't before or it mostly hasn't before doesn't mean that it won't. And just because it has before in some level or some capacity doesn't mean that it will. So all that, it, all that it's up to is, is Bryce Young the right fit for the offense that he gets made to be a part of and can that offense support him and keep him in a situation where not only does he stay clean, but he also stays healthy.
0: Well said, as always, brother. Keep up the tremendous work. When's the latest episode of the Locked on Saints podcast dropping? Tell the folks where they can go to get it. Got
4: Locked on Saints coming up for you a little bit later on today. It's going to uh, be dropping probably around 9.30, 10 a.m. Central Time. So I have that out for you. That's going to include all the updates that you need on Derek Carr, who the backup plan is if the Saints can't land Derek Carr. Also takes a look at uh, why Hinden Hooker is a must for the team and then a couple of seven-round mock drafts just to kind of see the two different ways the Saints can go about this year's draft. They can go on my guy approach and go with the guys that they really like Or they can go with a sort of best player available approach and they'll be able to rebuild their team either way because this is a really talented, talented draft class where the Saints have a lot of needs. You'll be able to find that wherever you get your podcast, as well as on YouTube as well.
0: Ross, appreciate the time as always. Brother, have a tremendous week. We'll talk to you soon, bud. Thank you, homie. Appreciate you. I'll talk to you soon. Take care. Stay safe. Enjoy Pensacola.
2: This is RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. RP3 is the epitome of a high roller. Constantly making large bets.
0: But by doing that, the minimum bet is a dollar for a win, a dollar for a place, a dollar for a show. So it's essentially a three dollar bet that netted me a cool six dollars and seventy cents. What? Okay, so he's not a risk
2: taker. He's your best bet for sports talk. Nineteen, hit me. Twenty, hit me. Twenty-one, hit me. Twenty-two. No. Now, back to more RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station.
0: Oh, man, what a show. Great way to start off the week. And uh, we're here in Pensacola, of course, because the Raging Cajuns are taking on the Jaguars of South Alabama in the Sunbelt Conference Tournament Championship game tonight. Six o'clock will be tip right down the road from us at the Pensacola Bay Center. Winner, guess what? Gets to go to the NCAA Tournament. Bob Marlin's team's trying to get there for the first time since 2014. We got you covered with all the coverage. We got a gallery with videos and photos of what's been going on the last couple of days here in Pensacola. That's up for you. You can go check it out on our Facebook page. And of course, go check out all the original content. I'm going to have my latest edition of RP3's Three Things. It's about tonight's title game for the Sun Belt. You have to go check that out on our YouTube channel. Once again, go subscribe at the Game Louisiana. That's at the Game Louisiana. For all the great stuff that we post, all the original content, it will be up there, including my latest RP3's three things. It'll be the three keys to victory tonight for the Raging Cajuns. That'll be up in a few hours on our YouTube channel. Poll question of the day. Will the Cajuns book their ticket to the big dance with a win tonight? 75% of you say yes. 14% say no. 11% say unsure. I want to thank our guests Jeff Palermo from Tiger Rag Radio, Hunter Bauer from gopreps.com, and, of course, Ross Jackson from the Locked On Saints podcast for the producer, Dyson Iserlo, back there in the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette. He killed it today, as he does every day. I'm Raymond Parch 3rd We'll do it all again tomorrow, 6 to 9, but until then, be safe out there, be kind to one another. Kevin Foote in Footnotes, live from Pensacola, is up next, right here on The Game.